Well, beloved, we have an opportunity in the next uh, um, three, well, four weeks, really, um, to having finished Jonah. Uh, what I thought would be helpful for us to do, especially as we prepare to go into a, a new year, is to uh, look at the Bible's teaching on the nature of the church and what God expects of his people who make up the church. And so that obviously includes us here at Ranch View Baptist Church. And so I'm obviously not going to exhaust this topic. Uh, if you want um, something to really be exhaustive, um, you can look at Read the City of God by Augustine, or if you want to read the Institutes by John Calvin, <laughs> and you really want to go in like super, super deep, uh, I encourage you to do that. They're, they're both uh, very helpful books to read. But the purpose here is not to unpack every component of what makes up a church. I mean, um, you can read the scriptures, and there's all kinds of one another's that are given to the church and how we're supposed to serve one another. And so we're not going to go into a detailed breakdown of that. But I want, what I want us to be able to have is a broad uh, scope and picture of, of what the church in God's word is supposed to, uh, what's the nature of it? Like, why are we gathering together, really? What is the nature of this church? And what is our purpose and what is our priority? That's today's lesson, okay? What is, what is our privilege? So what is our identity? What is our purpose in being here? And what should a church's priority be? These are super helpful for us to think through. And so we're going to do that this week. And next week, Lord willing, uh, we need to then understand what is the polity of the church. And by polity... Uh, I mean, church governance. So think of it this way. If we're going to respond rightly to our God-given privilege, purpose, and priority, then we need to be structured in a way that God has ordained for us to be structured. Does that make sense, right? If this is God's church and this is what, how we're to live, then God gives us a way to organize ourselves. And so we want to make sure we're matching biblically what God calls his church for polity. And finally, um, we'll have a guest speaker, preacher, Mike Kelly. He's been here several times. Uh, just a real, um, just great pastor's heart. And he's going to bring the word to us. Uh, not next week, but the week after. He'll be here to preach for us as we just sit under his ministry of the word. And then the following week, we will talk about the next part of the church and what's important, which is, uh, I put it just for this being a good Baptist, I used all Ps, you'll notice, right? Privilege, purpose, priority, uh, polity, and partnership. And that means membership. And so we, we need to talk about the biblical mandate, the biblical principles for why church membership is important. Um, it is important, and, and we need to see what does the Bible say anything about that. And so we're going to talk about that, okay? So this week, privilege, purpose, priority, if you want to take notes. Next week, polity. Next week after that, guest speaker. Then after that, partnership. Now, after that, because this is a different kind of topic we're, we're going, we're kind of doing topical, we're going to go into the Gospel of John. And I am so excited to go into the Gospel of John. And so we're reading it on Sunday mornings, but we're also going to now go through the Gospel of John together as a church uh, beginning next month. So I just want to give you a, an idea of where we're, where we're going. And so today's passages, two main passages, will be from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. This is where we're going to talk about privilege and purpose. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. And then also Acts 2, 37 to 47, 
and we will review um, our priority. Now, I've preached through both 1 Peter and Acts, and so um, these are drawn out of these principles are drawn out of things we've looked at as we went through these books, but I want to highlight some specifics about them for us this morning. Uh, super helpful. So let's, um, let's read um, first, first Peter, okay? First Peter, first Peter chapter 2. And then if you want to keep your finger in uh, Acts, We'll go back to Acts 2, 42 to 47, all right? So here's Peter writing to, to this church um, a num- some number of years um, after they were planted and became believers and they're suffering, and he wants to remind them of something very specific as a, as a church. And so in verse 4... He reminds them of who they're coming to, and this is what we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. But let me read 4 to 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Acts 2, 42, uh, 37, rather, to 47. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your word and for what it teaches us in regards to um, our salvation and, and our redemption in Christ, but even in regards to how it points us to the nature and the purpose of a church. Really, what is our identity? Why do we gather together? And uh, what brings us here, Father? There are so many things in the world and so many reasons why people attend churches, oh God. 
And we know that those reasons do not always line up with what your word says. And so, Father, we desire to be faithful as a people, as your people, that we would have the right privilege, the right identity, and that we would have the right purpose, and that we would have the right priorities, O oh God. And so as we look at these two sections of your word, just help us to think clearly and to understand that as a church, uh, what these, the answer to these questions are. We ask for your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin with a word association game. And not a game. I mean, this is not like, I don't mean it in that way. I just mean, I'm going to ask you a question. And, and in asking these questions, you don't, don't answer out loud. But at the same time, this is not, and I'll explain what I mean by this, but this is not an attack on anything, okay? But I'm just going to, I'm going to say the name. I'm going to say a, I'm going to say a church's name. And I want you to think about what comes to your mind, okay? And you may not know the church, so if nothing comes to your mind, that's fine. Um, Shadow Mountain. Don't say anything. Just Shadow Mountain Church and I'll come. Grace Community Church. Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minnesota. Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Ligonier Ministries. What comes to your mind? What's the, what comes to your mind? The answer is yours. I'm not, I don't know what the answer is, but I would imagine that for some of you, that what comes to mind as you hear those churches or that ministry is the name of the spokesman. If you hear this particular church, you think about the pastor. Maybe it's just me, because I do. And the thing is, is there is nothing wrong, like the fact that that happens, and this is what I mean by it. it's not an attack on anything, it's the fact that this happens to us is not an indication that the, the church is wrong or doing things wrong. So this is not at all an attack on that. It's an indication, though, of us personally, like our struggle with sin, the, the, the battles that we have, in our mind with understanding the nature of a church, okay? Paul addressed this in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, when he's kind of addressing the church in Corinth, he says to them, what is all of this division taking place among you? Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some of you say, I'm of Cephas. Some of you say, I'm of Apollos, right? And the idea that Paul says to them, he goes, what is this? He goes, you are not of me or Apollos or Cephas, but you are what? You are of Christ. So when we, when we think about the church, and I know that these ministries that we talked about, I would guarantee you that all of them would say that is so true. Like, this is not, this is not a ministry about me. And they've they may be faithfully proclaiming the gospel day in and day out and wanting to point people to Christ, and they do. And God blesses those ministries, and people are saved under them. But my point is that we as a church, and even those churches and other churches, have to understand that the privilege of gathering together is not a privilege that is, or a proud, or a, or a pride that we should take in any individual that we are being ministered by. So there should be no pride in the fact that someone is part of the ministry of some individual. Like that, that's a misunderstanding 
of the purpose and the nature of the church, right? And so, so Peter here, who was an apostle, chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ to, to be one to minister to his, his church and to be a preacher of the gospel, actually reminds them in this passage of how they need to think about the gathering together of God's people. We don't gather, he, he's going to tell them here that your gathering together and your coming is not, we do not come to come under the ministry of any man. You understand, right? We don't gather together to come under the ministry of our favorite preacher or our favorite music or our favorite program or because we have a good youth group or because we have a good women's group. Like th These are not the purposes of why any church should ever be gathering together. And I, and I thought of it like in terms of a solar eclipse. I, I have a friend who, who actually went to watch a full solar eclipse. I've never seen a full solar eclipse, but he says it is absolutely amazing, right? You actually go and you see the sun shining, and he says, and it's incredible when everything for that split second turns, turns totally dark because the, the sun is completely covered and, and it turns black, right? And what happens in churches and in our hearts sometimes as we look at the world and, and we think about churches, our eyes can sometimes be covered over by sin to where the sun that is to be shining and central to the entire church is covered over by something. And it's usually covered over by something that we like or desire. And so the church and the purpose and the privilege of gathering together becomes something totally different and something totally purpose. And that's part of our sin nature, and we forget that. And so Peter is going to remind them of that, of that very reason, that privilege. And so this is where we begin in verse 4. Peter points us to the great privilege of the church being this, that we come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he says, chosen and precious. So as those who have been redeemed, we have the privilege of coming to him as to a living stone, okay? When you are born again, the first act of faith that you have is to turn to who? Jesus Christ. So the idea here, he's not talking about this initial coming but for our salvation, but he's talking about the privilege of voluntary and habitually coming of that believer to Jesus Christ for the sustain, sustenance of his faith and fellowship with the saints. So the salvation that he spoke about in chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, is what gives us this privilege. So we have the honor as God's people of coming to Christ, he says, as to a living stone. And that is what separates Christ's church apart from everything else. What separates a church gathering from any other gathering in the world is that that gathering comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything that is done is done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the phrase living stone kind of tells us why this is such a great privilege. Peter uses this adjective living when referring to Christ or to things related to the gospel. So in chapter 1, verse 3, he, he refers to our living hope. In chapter 1, verse 23, he refers to the living word. 
In Peter's confession in Matthew 16, 16, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so the word living points to exactly what you would expect. It points to something alive and active. Our our hope is alive. His word is active. God is living. God is not dead. And Jesus Christ is living. He's alive. He's resurrected. He is this living stone, which is somewhat paradoxical. A living stone? Why a living stone? Peter's saying, you come to this living stone. So the stone is anything but living, right? So in ancient Palestine, when they would build structures, they would prepare and shape a special stone to be placed as this standard by which all other stones are built around this standard to keep the lines plumb, to keep the walls straight, to keep the building standing. You'd have to have this massive big corner stone shaped just perfect and there, and then every other thing would be built around it as this serves as the foundation for the entire structure to be built. Now, when you go to ancient civilizations that had these cornerstones built, If you've ever been to Jerusalem, and I haven't, but you can look at pictures, what's happened to all of these buildings? They crumble. Eventually, they they crumble, right? If you have time, and you have wind, and you have water, put those three together, eventually, as time, wind, and water take place in the world, these things will eventually erode. And the cornerstones will eventually decay, chip, become weak, and all stones eventually wear away because they're not living. They're They're not alive. They're dead. They're just stones. And so Peter calls Jesus a living stone chosen and precious in the sight of God. Jesus was the cornerstone set in place by God, a living stone upon which God's church was built and will prevail. Jesus is not a rock that is dead and will erode over time. He is alive and living. Whatever ministry or church you can think of in days gone by or even present, those buildings will one day erode and the pastors, including myself, will one day die. The Apostle Paul died, Peter died, John died, Augustine died, Calvin died, Luther died. They all die. We will all die. And any church that is built on any man and follows any man will die if that church is not founded on the living stone. The church will dwindle. And so Peter is saying, when Christ saves his people, the privilege that we need to remember as a church is that we are built and we come to a choice and precious living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the cornerstone upon which the church is established, and it is established on him and him alone. It is not a man-made institution. It is not something that Uh, a, a good leader establishes and builds a big program driven institution for people to carry out all kinds of things in the world under this great leader of a man. The one that we follow and emphasize and love, as I believe those ministries mentioned earlier do, we need to keep in our mind that that is Christ and Christ alone the living stone. So think of it this way. Beloved, who who 
loved and loves the church most? Who loves you the most? Christ. Ephesians 5.25 Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loves the church more than any man or woman will ever love the church. He gave himself. And by church here, you understand, this is kind of a side note, but we're, we're talking about all saints from the Old Testament and the New. We're talking about God's people from all ages that belong to this body of Christ that Christ died to redeem. Did Christ die to redeem the Old Testament saints? Yes. Does Christ's blood cover the Old Testament saints? Absolutely. Just as it does the New Testament saints. So when we're thinking about the church that Christ loves, we're talking about all of God's children. All of them. And you can write, I'm not going to go through these, but Hebrews 2.12, Hebrews 12.1, Hebrews 12.22-23, Ephesians 2.14, Ephesians 2.15, Ephesians 2.19. All of these and more verses point to this fact that the church consists of Old and New Testament saints that Christ loves. So, not only does Christ love the church, but I want you to understand that um, Christ is also the head of the church. Peter also says in Ephesians 1, to 23, Christ is the head of the church. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to Peter, after his confession that Jesus is the Christ, Peter said, Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we begin here because this is where Christ's church must begin. The church is grounded and founded on the living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ, not a man-made gathering of people with man-made plans and purposes. It's not a temple made with hands through rocks and mortar. It's not an institution established on the wisdom, efforts, or strengths of any particular man or woman board, or, con or even the congregation. It is God's church built on, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, 20 to 22, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. That's what sets apart a church. And Peter goes on to say here in chapter 2 that this is an honor, doesn't he? Look at what he says. In verse 6, he says, It stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, it becomes a rock of offense. This is how you can tell whether a church is a Christian church or not. Is Christ at the center of the reason and the purpose and the message constantly as a church? It should be, and it should be built around him. So this is an honor that belongs to us. It's our great privilege that we can honor 
the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope and pray that when you come to the church here at Ranch View Baptist Church, that you are coming because you want to hear from Christ and his word. And that you're coming here because you love Christ, you love his word, you're thankful for salvation, you want to honor him in everything that you do, and you want to serve him in everything. And that needs to be the reason for attending, beloved, this church. So, that's the privilege. But let's look at verse 5, because verse 5, Peter says, actually gives us a purpose as a church. Um, God's purpose for the church, looking back at verse 5 in 1 Peter 2, Peter goes on to say, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, what does he say? Through Jesus Christ. So Peter says, you also are like living stones. That is to say, in the same way that Christ is living, chosen, and precious in God's sight, so you are like living stones, like that. You're rejected by the world, but you're chosen and precious by God. You are like a living stone, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, Peter says, by the living word of God. And Peter doesn't say that we have been made alive in Christ to go on living for ourselves. Does he say that? You have come to the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious in the sight of God, so that you may go on living for yourself. Is that that what he says? That's not what he says at all. He says, you have been chosen, you are like living stones, now that you have come to Christ, the living stone, and you've been built on him and in him, and your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, now that that is true, you also, like living stones, he says, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood not to offer service to yourself, not to serve your mission, not to serve your purpose, not to serve your plan, not to serve your desires, but to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is God's purpose for redeeming us, beloved. This is his purpose for his church. God does not redeem stones and pile them up in a jumbled pile of stones. He doesn't save individuals and then pile them up in a pile all messed up like you would take a box of Legos after kids had them for several months and dump it on the floor and be like, yeah, look at all those Legos and just leave them there. No, God takes you and he saves you and me, these these living stones, these little living stones in Christ, and then he forms and he shapes us and he builds us around the cornerstone Christ into a spiritual house for his own purposes. This is why Jesus has redeemed you and me. He is building something in the world with us, beloved, as his body. There is order and purpose, purposeful arrangement of these stones. We are fitted and shaped and placed for the task of building up a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. And the reason for being part of this building, beloved, is to offer up spiritual sacrifices 
acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So that we would be a people that serve God through Jesus. So what are those spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God? The MacArthur Study Bible, which is a great study Bible, summarizes the section like this. God-honoring works, this is what spiritual sacrifices are. God-honoring works done because of Christ under the direction of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God. These would include offering the strength of one's body to God, praising God, doing good, sharing one's resources, bringing people to Christ, and prayer. And I would add to that all of it being done in love. So look at Romans 12. I'm just going to read some verses here, okay? What are these spiritual sacrifices? Romans 12. Here's one. Remember, this is our purpose, beloved. The purpose is of being saved as living stones now built on Jesus, the cornerstone. We are saved and redeemed and built and organized to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Here's one of those spiritual sacrifices. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, so our purpose here as God's people, as a church, Paul says, our spiritual sacrifice is to offer our bodies unto who? Unto Christ. Your entire life, your body, is to be offered to serve Christ in everything you do. Your body is God's body redeemed for God's purpose, right? It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and Paul is saying... Take your body and use it to serve Christ. Holy, acceptable behavior that is honorable to God. Next, you can look at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 15. as a church, redeemed and being built up. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, or rather through him then, that's Christ, let us continually offer up what? A sacrifice of praise to God. So one of our spiritual sacrifices that we offer to God through Christ is the sacrifice of praise. When we worship and sing and read and pray, the focus and purpose of all of it is to offer praise to God, to praise God with our bodies as well as the offering of our lips this is why it is so important that when we sing, and Andrew pointed this out this morning, that when we sing, that we sing things that are true. Does that make sense? We sing theological truth. Like, not, you know, it's creative and it's poetic and it's beautiful, but it has to be, it has to be true. It has to be Christ honoring. It needs to be something that lifts his name up, and that we know what we're singing and why we're singing. Um, it is just so, so important because a lot of the music and the things you hear in the world are very vague and very unclear. And so as a church, we need to 
make sure we are offering praise to Christ. That is our sacrifice that we're offering. Number, you can also stay there in Hebrews 13, 16. Doing good. So here's what the author goes on to say. So through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That is what praise is. And then he says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are what? Pleasing to God. So when we gather together as a church, part of what we want to be doing as a church, as a spiritual house, is doing good to one another, but also what? To, to the world. This is why I appreciate, and I hope you do, uh, Fidel and Tina, the, the ministry with Visit You. I hope you appreciate what they're doing because they're doing and we, with them, are doing good. We, we give to those that are in need, and they went over already this week. They took tons of stuff into Mexico to help and to provide for their need. Now, does that mean that, there's, that Fidel and Tina are always going to be like Paul on Mars Hill preaching the gospel? Not necessarily, but every time you share and they bring from the church there is, there is good that is being done, and the gospel and God's love goes with that. This is part of what we're doing as a church, to, to do good for one another, but also, and to share, but also just to, to serve God in the world, right? Jesus says that they will let them see your good works so that they might give glory to, to your Father in heaven, right? So, spiritual sacrifice the other, the other aspect there, you can look at um, Hebrews 13, 16. Again, sharing was one of them. Um, look at, go back to, um, I think it's Romans 15, 16. How about that one? Fifteen sixteen. Paul says, start in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so you'll notice what Paul says. He says um, he was a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. Why? So that the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Spirit. In other words, part of our sacrifice is bringing other people to the Lord Jesus Christ, and sanctifying our desire for the good of others. You can look at Ephesians 2. We're, we are to be thinking and doing good, but also seeking to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Great Commission. This is part of our spiritual sacrifice um, of, of offering as a church. And finally, uh, prayer, Revelation 8.3. And Peter actually mentions that, too, is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. So he gives us that purpose in that passage. But if you look at Revelation 8.3 as well, you'll see that John writes in here, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So there's a sense in which our spiritual sacrifices include all of these things, beloved. Our body, our lips, our doing good, our sharing of our resources, bringing people to Christ, 
sanctifying our desires for the good of others, praying for each other, and this is our spiritual sacrifice given through the church and the purpose for which we exist so that it would be done through Jesus and through God's love, and that would be John 15, 8 to 17. Living stones, everything we do in life is intended to be done as worship to God through Christ. Now, that leads us to our priorities here, and this will be uh, quick here because we recently went through this. But Acts 2, okay, Acts 2, that's our privilege. Christ is our head. That's our purpose. And so here needs to be our priority. This is the early church birthed at Pentecost, a spiritual house, living stones, being built on Christ and the gospel message. The Holy Spirit pours himself out upon this church. And so what were they characterized by? So we read in chapter 2, verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 living stones built upon Christ the cornerstone, chosen and precious to God. They're set apart for God's purpose to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. And what were they doing? I mean, that's the question. What were their priorities? What were their priorities? And you see them right here. They, were, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let me read that again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The, the word devoted there means to hold fast to something or to be busily engaged in something. And he adds the adjective continually to say that they were persevering in these things. When you go to the ocean, at least when I do, and I want to take the kids swimming in the water, one of the first things I do is I dip my foot in there and I'm really want to become acclimated, right? So I, I kind of dip it in, and I, I go in, like, really timidly and slowly because it gets so cold, right? And when I was a kid, I would just jump in, but this, now as an old man, that's what I do. I go in slowly, and so the idea here is, is, not, is not that. They are not, when it says that they are devoted to these things, it means that they are not tepidly going through and slowly trying to enter into these things. It means that this becomes their entire life commitment to Christ. This is their, their life. What they heard and what they believed about Christ and now being grounded in him, this is what marked them as being separate from the world. They devoted themselves to this. And I want you to know that the very first priority that they devoted themselves to is what? The apostles' teaching. The very first priority in any church has to be, and by the apostles' teaching, he simply means the word of God. The very first priority and direction of any church needs to be what the apostles and the word of God lays out for that church. And you will have a lot of churches that are built uh, around the wisdom of men. And the way that you know that it is the wisdom of men is because the word of God is given almost a secondary emphasis in the message. This is a special kind of message, but everything that comes out from the church and what they were looking at, all of it had to do with understanding God's word better, not the wisdom of men. 
So the word must be central and, and the priority of what happens in a church. And secondly, you'll notice the fellowship. So they devoted themselves and the priority in the life of that church was one another. How important is that for us to understand today? The priority in this church and what God expects of his church is that a priority would be his word, but it would also be, as Jesus says, to love one another. We live, and we talked about this in the Sunday school, in an individualistic society. Everything that happens in this world is about you. Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, whatever. Everything is about me, 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 me. That is not how God wants his church to behave. The church is about one another. Look at all the one another's in the scripture. Love one another, serve one another, care for one another, help one another, admonish one another. Rebuke one another. Call one another to holiness. Like, this is why he puts us together. This is a priority. There is no Lone Ranger Christian. And the reason why so many believers leave churches is if you talk to them, they end up leaving a church often because they didn't get what they wanted at that church. People leave because the church isn't fulfilling what? my needs. So it's not to, these believers devoted themselves to the fellowship, to one another. Priorities, straight. Thirdly, not only is fellowship, but you'll notice they were baptized, Lord's ordinance, and then they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the breaking of bread. That's just to understand the ordinances. So we as a church celebrate the Lord's table often when we come together because this is what Christ has called us to do. And we do baptism when the Lord saves and we have the privilege of baptizing. We do that because this is what they were doing together. They were baptizing and they were celebrating the Lord's table, remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. Priority. And fourthly, they were devoted what he calls the, the prayers. I don't know if these were set prayers, but the point is, is they, as God's people, were devoted as a priority to praying together. And so this is what it looks like when a church understands their privilege and their purpose. These are the marks of a healthy church that really has their priorities straight. You can tell a lot about a church by what they devote themselves to. And so, beloved, my prayer for us is that when it is all said and done, that Ranchview Baptist Church will be the kind of church that is recognized for being a Christ-centered church. We are built on Christ and Christ alone. And I, and I pray that people see that in the way that we preach and the songs that we sing and the studies that we have, that they would see that we are built on Christ. I pray, beloved, that we would be fulfilling our purpose. And I pray that we would fulfill that purpose with joy and with vigor that our purpose for being here would be those sacrifices of praise unto God through Christ. To do the one another's together, to love each other, to, to give our bodies to God for his glory, to do good works, to sing praise to Christ, and to share with one another and to be in prayer together. That's our purpose, spiritual sacrifices. And then I pray that we would always keep our priorities straight. That the word of God would be the priority here. That the fellowship of one another would be a priority. That you would, look, 
if you only come to church once every six weeks or once every month or two, my, my prayer is that we would reevaluate that, right? I think all of you guys are here all the time, but there are some churches where people just don't show up, right? So I'm glad that you're here and I see you all regularly here, and I am grateful for that, and that's good. So prayer as well, and the Lord's ordinances, priorities, beloved. So this is a general overview about the church for us, and I hope it's been helpful for you, beloved. And next week, we'll talk about church polity, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, just thank you for your word and for the truths that are laid out here in 1 Peter 2, as well as Acts 2. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have of coming to your son, the living stone. And we know, oh God, that he was rejected by the world, but he was chosen and precious in your sight. And that we are built on him and on him alone. I pray, oh God, that you would help us to be a people that live for his glory, that live for the glory of you, Lord Jesus, and, and put you on display. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would not be a church that is known for anything else other than being known for you. And Lord, I know that that is not always how the world operates and works. Even when we are clear that we preach Christ and him crucified, we still know that in this world that people, because of their sin and their misunderstanding of a certain ministry, will attach that ministry or that church to the name of a man, even if that man doesn't intend it to be attached. And so, God, we, we know that that is true in which the world we live, but we pray that you would keep us humble, that you would keep us focused on you, that you would keep us ever pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter, no matter how much they complain about it or no matter how much uh, they misunderstand. Father, just help us to continue to be faithful to speak of Christ and him crucified, as the Apostle Paul did. As he said, I didn't know anything among you except Jesus and him crucified. And Father, we thank you for those ministries that have faithfully proclaimed Christ and him crucified. We thank you, Father, for the ministries like Grace Community Church, the churches that you have raised up to do that. We thank you for churches like Shadow Mountain. We thank you for churches like Capitol Hill Baptist Church and for Bethlehem Baptist Church and for these churches that have been risen up by you to, be, to become uh, beacons of light and to proclaim Christ. And we know that they will not always be there. We know that these churches will come and they will go eventually, but your church, the invisible church, redeemed and built on the living stone, will prevail forever. Even this church building here, Father, and this gathering of believers, we know that one day uh, we won't even be gathering here in this place on this earth. But we know that you have secured our salvation and you have made us a holy people, a holy nation unto you, and that we are being built into the house, spiritual house that you have called us to be built into. So thank you for your mercy and grace, O oh God. Thank you for calling us and redeeming us to offer spiritual sacrifices. Help us to do that as a people. Help us to devote our lives in everything that we do to the glory of your name. Help us, O oh God, to keep our priorities straight, that we would understand that your word is the authority here in the direction of all that we do, to understand that the fellowship here is more than gathering on a Sunday morning and leaving, but it, it means being involved in each other's lives and caring for one another. Help us to know that our priority, O oh God, is to be faithful to the ordinances, to remember Christ and him crucified, and to always be in prayer. Help us, O oh God, never to tire of being in prayer, never to be bored of praying to you and thinking 
that we have something better to do and another place to be, but help us to rest in our prayer before you, to know that we are praying before a living God who loves us and cares for us, to know that we have a privilege of coming before your throne of grace and of God Almighty hearing us. And we know that even now, O oh God, that you hear us as your people, that you give ear to us and you desire to help us and to bless us to live out the purpose for which you called us and redeemed us. And so we ask, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would do that for us as a church that you would help us in all of these areas so that we might bring glory to your name and that your kingdom might be built, that we would be driven by seeing the lost saved, that we would be a people that look on those who are hurting, who are struggling and in darkness, and look on them as those that need to be introduced to our Savior. We pray that you would do that for us, O oh God. And we ask all of this in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen.